Barbara, how can we tell when someone is wheezing and what's the physiology behind wheezing? Wheezing is actually something we see, at least in a pediatric office, really frequently. And when we think about what wheezing actually is, it's a relatively high-pitched whistling noise produced by movement of air through narrowed airways. So if, if you forgive me for a second, I'm going to give you an example. It sounds like... That's an inspiratory and expiratory wheeze. Airflow through a narrowed or compressed segment of a small airway becomes turbulent. This causes vibration of airway walls, and this vibration produces the sound of wheezing. Now, wheezing is more common during expiration, unlike what I just gave you an example of, which was inspiratory and expiratory. But expiratory is more common because increased intrathoracic pressure during this phase narrows the airways. Wheezing during expiration alone indicates milder obstruction than wheezing during both inspiration and expiration, which suggests more severe airway narrowing. Now, by contrast, turbulent flow of air through a narrowed segment of the large extrathoracic airways produces a whistling inspiratory noise that we call strider. And that sounds like... <laughs> Scary noise. Yes. <laughs> so now I remember as a medical student, I thought, you know, if somebody's wheezing, it's asthma or maybe it's COPD. Are there other things we need to worry about? What causes wheezing? Well, that's a really great question. And... Um, I'm sure you've, you've heard the saying, not all that wheezes is asthma. So there are many other causes of wheezing. So let's go back to, to thinking about why this is happening. So small airway narrowing may be caused by bronchoconstriction. There also may be mucosal edema, external compression, or partial obstruction by a tumor or a foreign body or thick secretions. So as you've mentioned, the most common causes are two. One, COPD, and the other is, of course, asthma. And when we think of asthma, we really want to remember that there are a number of triggers for asthma itself. So asthma can be triggered by exercise, allergens, upper respiratory infections, cold air, and any one or combination of these can be triggers for an individual. And to keep this in mind will help us when we get to evaluating the patient. Now, as we've already said, wheezing can have other causes also. So it can occur in disorders affecting small airways such as heart failure, which we term cardiac asthma, anaphylaxis, or toxic inhalation. Now, sometimes even a healthy person who has no prior history may manifest some wheezing with an acute bout of bronchitis, and this is short-lived. And then in, in children, we want to always consider uh, bronchiolitis can lead to wheezing as well as foreign body aspiration. Okay, so it's uh, a number of causes. So uh, how do we approach diagnosis? We need to ask a lot of questions about those. Yes, absolutely. So one of the things to remember, and I always, when I'm teaching residents and medical students, one of the first things I tell them is when they walk in a room with a patient to assess immediately whether they're okay or whether we need they need help immediately. So this is of particular significance with wheezing in that if a patient is in significant respiratory distress, we need to recognize this and understand that evaluation and treatment can actually proceed at the same time. So what kind of history do we want to obtain? Well, we should be asking whether wheezing is new or recurrent. And if it is recurrent, we should be asking the patients of any previous diagnosis of, of wheezing or asthma and whether Current symptoms are different in nature or severity from what they've had before. 
particularly when the diagnosis is unclear, the acuity of onset, whether it was abrupt or gradual, is important to know. Temporal patterns, such as whether it's persistent or intermittent, or whether there are seasonal variations will help and understand what the etiology is, and what provoking or exacerbating factors there are for the wheezing, such as URIs, allergen exposure, cold air, or exercise. Important associated symptoms that we'd want to make note of also include shortness of breath, fever, cough, sputum production. Now, when we look at review of systems, we want to be thinking about signs and symptoms of causative disorders. So this would include fever, sore throat, rhinorrhea, which would make us think of a respiratory infection, orthopnea, paroxysmal nocturnal dyspnea, and peripheral edema, of course, would lead us to heart failure. Night sweats, weight loss, fatigue, we'd think about cancer. Nasal congestion, itchy eyes, sneezing, and rash, we'd be thinking about allergic reaction. Vomiting, heartburn, swallowing difficulties would make us think of just gastroesophageal reflux disease with aspiration. Now, with past medical history, um, we want to be asking about conditions known to cause wheezing, particularly asthma, COPD, and heart failure. Patients with known disease should be asked about indicators of disease severity, such as previous hospitalization, intubation, or ICU admission, and then also conditions that predispose to heart failure are identified, including atherosclerotic or congenital heart disease and hypertension. And then, of course, smoking history and exposure to secondhand smoke should be noted. Well, those are a lot of questions, and uh, I have to be honest. Sometimes I have to remind myself to uh, go back and ask those things after I've, you know, uh, stabilized a patient who's, who's been wheezing. Now, on the physical exam, can you tell us what's important in the, in the pulmonary exam and maybe if there are any extra pulmonary findings that we should note? Sure. And of course, once again, with physical exam, the, the immediate urgency of how the patient is looking is very important to take note of. Vital signs uh, should be reviewed for presence of fever, tachycardia, tachypnea, and of course, if there's low O2 saturation, this is something we need to address right away. Now, if there are any signs of respiratory distress, and to our students out there, that would be accessory muscle use, intercostal retractions, agitation, cyanosis, of course, decreased level of consciousness, or even a fearful look uh, should immediately be taken note of. Now, the examination focuses on the lungs, particularly adequacy of air entry and exit, and symmetry or lack thereof of breath sounds and localization of wheezing. So is it diffuse or is it localized? Is it inspiratory, expiratory, or is it both? Any signs of consolidation should be taken note of. So are there E to A changes? Is there dullness to percussion? Or do we hear crackles? The cardiac exam should then focus on findings that might indicate heart failure. So we're listening for murmurs, third heart sounds like an S3 gallop, and uh, looking for jugular venous distension. And nose and throat examination should note appearance of nasal mucosa, so the color and the congestion can lead us to whether this is allergies or a respiratory infection. And then swelling of the face or tongue, signs of rhinitis, sinusitis, or nasal polyps. The extremities should be examined for clubbing and edema, and the skin for signs of allergic reactions, so is there urticaria or rash or ATP. This would lead us potentially to long-term allergic reactions, or of course, if the patient is in respiratory distress, we'd really be thinking about anaphylaxis. And then the patient's general appearance is noted for constitutional signs such as cachexia 
and barrel chests of severe COPD. All right, thanks. Now, uh, we know that wheezing is always uh, potentially concerning, but are there any uh, findings that would make us suspect this is particularly severe or any other sort of red flag findings? Absolutely, and we've, we've alluded to them so far, but let's talk about three in particular. Number one would be accessory muscle use. So any signs of clinical tiring, decreased level of consciousness, this is something we really have to take note of and act on right away. Number two, fixed inspiratory and expiratory wheezing. Again, we've talked about inspiratory and expiratory wheezing being an indication of more severe constriction. And then number three, swelling of the face and tongue. We'd really be concerned about anaphylaxis, and again, we'd want to be treating this immediately. Okay, we've got a nice database now. We've done that complete history and physical. Can you help us uh, sort out how to figure out what to do with all that information? Sure. In a patient who has recurrent wheezing and a known history of disorders such as asthma, COPD, or heart failure, we presume that that is the reason for this particular exacerbation. In patients who have both lung and heart disease, manifestations may be similar, so we need to try and figure this out. So neck vein distension and peripheral edema in corpomonale can be from COPD and be found in heart failure. And ultimately, this may lead to some testing to sort that out. When the cause is known, asthma or COPD, a history of cough, postnasal drip, exposure to allergens, or to toxic or irritant gases such as cold air, dust, tobacco smoke, perfumes, may then suggest the trigger. And then we want to be thinking about clinical findings which may suggest the cause of wheeze in patients without a known history. So let's think about that for a second. In acute wheezing, sudden onset of wheezing in the absence of URI symptoms suggests an allergic reaction or impending anaphylaxis, especially if urticaria or angioedema is present. Now, with fever and URI symptoms, this suggests infection. So we'd want to think about acute bronchitis in older children and adults and bronchiolitis in children less than two. With crackles, distended neck veins, and peripheral edema, this would suggest uh, heart failure. Association of wheezing with feeding or vomiting in infants can be the result of GE reflux. Now, that was acute wheezing. Let's look at persistent wheezing. Localized or persistent wheezing suggests focal bronchial obstruction by a tumor or a foreign body. And of course, in small children, we want to be thinking specifically of foreign body. Persistent wheezing manifesting very early in life suggests a congenital or structural abnormality. And then persistent wheezing with sudden onset is consistent with foreign body aspiration, as we've mentioned before, whereas the slow progressive onset of wheezing may be a sign of extraluminal bronchial compression by growing tumor or lymph node. Right. Thanks. Now, next, which patients need testing and what tests do we do? Well, testing really seeks to assess the severity of the wheezing, determine diagnosis, and identify complications. So a number of tests we'd want to do would be pulse oximetry, and we can do that immediately, chest x-ray, sometimes depending on the condition of the patient, especially if they're looking as if they're in severe respiratory stress, we'd want to get an ABG, and then sometimes pulmonary function testing can be done. Severity is assessed by pulse oximetry, and in patients with respiratory distress or clinical signs of tiring, ABG testing, um, as we mentioned. Now, patients known to have asthma will frequently have bedside peak flow measurements. Patients with new onset or undiagnosed persistent wheezing should have a chest x-ray. 
X-ray can be deferred in patients with asthma who are having a typical exacerbation and in patients having an obvious allergic reaction. On X-ray, cardiomegaly, pleural effusion, and fluid in the major fissure suggest heart failure. Hyperinflation and hyperlucency suggest COPD. Segmental or subsegmental atelectasis or infiltrate suggests an obstructing endobronchial lesion. And then radiopacity in the airways or focal areas of hyperinflation suggests a foreign body. And then if diagnosis is unclear in patients with recurrent wheezing, pulmonary function tests can confirm airflow limitation and quantify its reversibility or severity. Methylcholine challenge testing and exercise testing can confirm airway hyperreactivity in patients for whom the diagnosis of asthma is in question. Now for uh, next step is treatment. And uh, we usually say the treatment is uh, treatment of the underlying disorder. But in this case, can we treat wheezing itself also? Absolutely. First of all, the definitive treatment of wheezing is always treatment of the underlying disorder. But for treatment of wheezing itself, as you've asked, we use um, inhaled bronchodilators. And I'm going to go back once again to what we talked about earlier is if we have a patient who's in respiratory distress, we can start treatment at the same time as starting to assess them and determine what is causing the wheezing. And this is important to remember. So what bronchodilators do we use? Well, albuterol, nebulized solution, or meter-dose inhalation can be used. Long-term control of persistent asthmatic wheezing may require inhaled corticosteroids and leukotriene inhibitors. Corticosteroids also might be required emergently, especially if there's an allergic reaction. And then subcutaneous and inhaled racemic epinephrine are also indicated in cases of anaphylaxis. And then also IV diphenhydramine can be used, again, if there's an allergic reaction. Great. Well, there's a, there's a lot of information you've given us today. Could you uh, just help us remember a few key points? Yeah, let's leave our audience with four. Number one, asthma is the most common cause, but not all wheezing is asthma. Number two, acute onset of wheezing in a patient without lung disease may be due to aspiration, allergic reaction, or heart failure. Number three, reactive airway disease can be confirmed via spirometry. And number four, inhaled bronchodilators are the mainstay of acute treatment. So thank you, Dr. Barbara. How can we tell when someone is wheezing and what's the physiology behind wheezing? Wheezing is actually something we see, at least in a pediatric office, really frequently. And when we think about what wheezing actually is, it's a relatively high-pitched whistling noise produced by movement of air through narrowed airways. So if, if you forgive me for a second, I'm going to give you an example. It sounds like... That's an inspiratory and expiratory wheeze. Airflow through a narrowed or compressed segment of a small airway becomes turbulent. This causes vibration of airway walls, and this vibration produces the sound of wheezing. Now, wheezing is more common during expiration, unlike what I just gave you an example of, which was inspiratory and expiratory. But expiratory is more common because increased intrathoracic pressure during this phase narrows the airways. Wheezing during expiration alone indicates milder obstruction than wheezing during both inspiration and expiration.